0: Hello and welcome to the Ask Dr. Ben podcast. I'm your host, Ben Johnson. As a holistic-minded physician, I've spent the last 20 years looking outside the box and conducting research to find the true causes of skin conditions and other diseases. And while the focus of my work has been on aesthetic medicine and unlocking the secrets to reversing skin damage, this podcast will also include many other exciting revelations pertaining to you and your family's health and well-being. So let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ask Dr. Ben. Appreciate you following along as I uh, spill my guts on what I know about how to stay healthy, stay young, stay beautiful. And today we are talking about a touchy subject. I'll call it pandemic insights. I think it's something that's a necessary... Well, let me just say, I think the timings right now for me to speak my mind on everything that's going on. I have a lot of friends who are big into conspiracies and I've seen them sort of spin off into some pretty crazy stuff that I don't necessarily agree with. But that being said, you're going to hear from me some of the, listen, let's try to be reasonable about it. Let's, let's try to pull the politics and the polarization out of it. And let's just talk about what we know, because there are certain things that have been said that have been discounted or ignored (laughs) since being discussed. Um, So let's just dive right in. So currently we're in the situation uh, with COVID-19 where everyone is wondering how quickly a vaccine uh, can save the planet or how quickly a novel medication could save the planet. And it's really helpful to do a little historical perspective on all of this um, And some of it's going to sound crazy to you And I apologize in advance If you're like, oh my god I didn't know Dr. Ben could think so crazy But honestly, it's it's with a lot of introspection And it's a lot of research And listen, my intuition has been serving me Remarkably well through my journeys in life And I think you should take to the bank What I'm about to tell you So, let us start with viruses. Viruses such an interesting concept and well, I'll just say it. Viruses are all man-made. They do not have any historical there well, there is no historical evidence of how they came about. And what's so fascinating to me about this subject is how entrenched the medical community and the scientific community is on this idea. That, of course, viruses just are and they've always been. And yeah, yeah, OK. But that's not what a scientist would normally say, right? And normally, if scientists would continue the intellectual exploration of the origin of viruses and everything I've chased down has uh, just kind of almost been laughable science of, oh, yeah, maybe viruses started before even cells started. I'm like, what? RNA viruses? Okay, so to be as, you know, lay person friendly as possible here, I want you to understand that a virus is code. It's literally just like you thought about in your uh, computer virus, you know, protection program. It's a piece of code that inserts itself into your DNA and causes havoc. And the level of havoc that it causes depends on the code, just like a computer virus, and they do not just show up out of nowhere. Let's let's identify a couple. There's two different sort of distinctions, really. There are what are called RNA viruses, which is more or less a coded protein, if you will, if that makes it easier to understand. And that coded protein is initially enters the body through whatever mechanism, infectious mechanism, you know, respiratory droplets or you touching your face or food with viral contaminant on your hand, or literally the droplets can, you know, enter in through your eyes, through the sclera or through uh, inhalation, you know, and, and each virus has its own mechanisms of entry that are unique. So this is an RNA virus. So it inserts its code and then the code redirects your DNA to make more of that code. And it may redirect your DNA to do other things that, you know, we're seeing right now with COVID. So that's an RNA virus. It does not exist outside of the human body. It cannot exist on its own. It has no brain. It has no, it's not a living creature. It's a piece of protein. Okay. Then you have DNA viruses, of which there are much fewer. They are more complicated. And the one that I think we, uh, you know, is, is the most interesting of the batch is the herpes virus, because it's not only DNA coded, but it also has a, an encapsulation. And it's, in my experience, remember, I also make antiviral supplements. And so in my experience, uh, the herpes virus is the most confounding of them all. And it's because it has a brain. And it is hiding in what appears to be our central nervous system. It knows how to hide. And so, you know, we'll put the, the herpes virus aside and talk primarily about RNA viruses because COVID-19 is an RNA virus. It cannot exist outside of a animal or a human. And this leads to the first big revelation of the day, which is that I believe that all RNA viruses are essentially biowarfare. Biowarfare simply means, or you could call it bioterrorism, right? It means it was man-made and it was made with the intent to be destructive to society or to the health of human beings. And uh, you say, well, gosh, I kind of heard something about this being man-made, but no one's talking about it. And, and uh, you know, President Trump uh, even said something about it and you may or may not believe anything President Trump said. And so you're like, ah, oh, well, he's just spinning off another uh, one of his, uh, you know, mistruths. And again, I'm trying to stay very apolitical here because this needs to stay apolitical. And part of the reason why we are losing the battle of information is because they are so effective in polarizing us. And we need to move away from being polarized. We need to start thinking with reason now, the first big virus that came on the planet, and there's, of course, disputes of this, and people say, oh, well, there was the virus, da, 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 da. Well, I want you to know what's so funny about the historical evaluation of viruses. What they're looking for to prove viruses existed before 1918, which is when the Spanish flu was released on the planet, what they were looking for is bits of code within our DNA that mimic the code that is in a virus somewhere. And I'm sorry, that is not going to cut it. Like that, that is not evidence that there was a virus there. If you've got a bit of RNA coding that is, resembles some aspect of a virus today, that is not proof that viruses have existed for all time, which is, again, where they kind of go. But the funny thing about all the scientific research that I've looked up, and trust me, there's not nearly enough considering the massive destruction viruses have caused in our society. You can't find, they all end their research article with, but we don't really know. Uh, This is what we think the mechanism is, but not really sure. Like there is a lack of information in the vast majority of the scientific community as to what viruses are, how they're actually working, how they're detected. And then we're going to get to this whole immunity question. And so, yeah, I think 1918 was the first case of biowarfare. It was unbelievably destructive, killed millions and millions of people. And not too long after that, the first flu immunizations came about in 1940, I believe. So that gives you an indication that the understanding of viruses was pretty well along that we you know it was in 1940 when the first flu vaccine came about and vaccines as you should know uh, is basically you know components of of these protein codes of these of these viral particles being put into a vial and injected into the body and we're going to get to that as well this whole uh, the flu conversation uh, there's so much to talk about and i and i know for a lot of you this will be like but listen every doctor i've ever talked to says this is normal and listen there's been an indoctrinization of the medical hierarchy of this mentality this this prescription based mentality, this not look for the source of disease mentality and follow the group think mentality. So this is my, well, this is where I stand apart more than I I think most of my peers is that I refuse to just follow group think if my intuition is telling me there's something else there. And it comes with tremendous risk. I'll talk to you about a a case. uh, I think it was tragic case In England, you know, there's ostracization, ostracization (laughs) of any physician who goes against the grain. And that should not be, guys. Groupthink is one of the most dangerous components of society because you see what happens, that mob mentality. So, yeah, I find that the... The challenge here is in uh, misinformation and peer pressure and polarization, and so just bear with me on this. So man-made virus, why would it be man-made? Well, because it can't exist outside of a cell, so there's no possible way that the virus was fermenting or developing in some pocket in nature, and then... Oh, you know, the first pig ate it, and then the bat had sex with the pig, and, you know, oh my God, the kind of stuff that could happen. Listen, there's a lot to unpack here. When we talk about evolution, it's really important to know that they've not been able to make a species turn into another species. When they teach about evolution in college right now, they talk about like the spotted white owl who developed into a spotted white owl because the tree, the white fungus started growing on the trees and they found that it was advantageous for them to be a white color. And so they became the spotted white owl. This is literally what my 21 year old daughter just learned in school as the proof of evolution. That's a phenotypic change. It wasn't a different species of bird becoming an owl. It was an owl adapting to its environment. These are phenotypic changes. This is what really the word evolution is more perfectly describing. There's no, in my opinion, no jump from the species of a monkey to a human. It's actually mathematically impossible. And if the mathematicians and the scientists would sit in the same room and have this conversation, they would agree. But that is not happening. There's no open discourse. Of course, evolution must be. Well, the same thing applies to viruses. Viruses don't just keep morphing at some fantastic rate, and we can't keep up with them. And oh my God, they're so intelligent. This is an RNA virus. It does have mutations. But here's the good news. When an RNA virus has mutations, 99.999999% of the time, that virus then no longer functions in the way that it did, and it actually dies off. It actually, those mutations are a cause for destruction of the virus, not making it more virulent. The idea that a virus could become more virulent because it intelligently keeps modifying itself doesn't make sense with an RNA virus. It's certainly potentially possible with the one DNA virus that I think is the challenge. Unfortunately, you know, the side effects are not severe for most, and that's the herpes virus. But in an RNA virus, it's just a piece of protein. It doesn't have a brain. It is not thinking on how to adapt. It is running through the computer that is your DNA and wreaking havoc for a period of time until your body figures it out or. It has in its protein code mechanisms to disable your body's natural antiviral properties. Now, when it comes to COVID, one of the fascinating things is there's approximately 20 different ways that that RNA protein is programmed to block human efforts, human cell efforts to destroy it. So, yes, we have mechanisms built into our system to fight viruses. And a lot of people think go, it's all about the antibodies. But when it comes to RNA code, remember, it's a piece of protein going into your DNA. That is not easy to stop because once the protein gets into that cellular DNA and the replication of that code is accelerated because it's written in the code to accelerate it says, hey, if you can imagine what's transcribed into this RNA virus, COVID-19, is information to make more RNA code to share with other cells so it can do more. And it also has in there code that allows it to escape detection. I heard as many as 20 different mechanisms to escape detection. Well, that fascinates me because, again, (laughs) scientific evidence shows that this is a man-made virus. Now, don't get caught up in the, oh, my God, another conspiracy, because part of the way that conspiracies are dismissed is that there are several conspiracies that are outrageous, like the whole 5G conspiracy or the the conspiracy, this isn't really a real virus conspiracy. You know, they put that out there, too. So that you just lump all the conspiracies together because your intuition tells you, well, that's not true or that one is true or whatever it is. But because they're lumped together, the tendency is to dismiss all of them. Don't fall into that tendency. Do your own research. There is a great research paper that was forced to be withdrawn after it was published. Okay, so this went through peer review and was published, and what it identifies is COVID-19 has multiple different components, sections of code that are identical to sections of code in HIV and SARS and other viruses that have been released on the planet. That doesn't happen. That evolutionary step doesn't happen. So what, what the scientists would like you to believe, the scientists that are caught up in the, in the bubble of misinformation— what they would like you to believe is that these viruses are so intelligent. And yes, if enough pigs have sex on the pig farm, that the virus that one pig has gets, meets up with the virus that the other pig has. And oh my God, they, they make babies and the babies have shared parts. And it's ridiculous. This is a piece of protein. Proteins don't have sex. Proteins don't evolve the way that they're describing. Yes, there are mutations because there are massive replications going on and there are always gonna be mutations. But again, those mutations in almost every case you can imagine are not gonna make that virus stronger. They're gonna make it weaker. So I don't believe that story. I don't believe that, you know, and we'll get into the flu virus. So if you If you do that research and you realize, wait a minute, how the hell is the African monkey? Remember the story of the sex of the African monkey? People still today, scientists, yes, still today, will tell you, yeah, those frisky monkeys in Africa, and then, oh, wait, that one human is like, ooh, that monkey looks cute. I mean, I don't even know. You know, the stories you have to create to come up with a mechanism of explanation, and they're like, well, which one did they buy? Oh, it looks like they're going with the monkey sex one. Okay. So that was HIV, right? And somehow that that HIV code made its way to the pig farm in China is a bit nonsensical, guys. It just defies logic. And especially when you understand what RNA viruses are. They're pieces of protein. They are not intelligent. They are programmed very intelligently. These are complicated pieces of protein. They don't just... Manufacture themselves. A piece of protein doesn't come along with another piece of protein. And go, ooh, you're a nice looking piece of code. Let me add you to my chunk. Put you on my tail. It does not happen. Okay. So once you realize that, and then you realize that the vast majority of diseases coming from viruses are coming from RNA viruses, it should give you pause. It should make you go back and go, okay, wait a minute. What's the history of viruses? So I went back and looked at the Spanish flu. And yeah, I think that was biowarfare. And that was the beginning of biowarfare. And then all of a sudden, viral labs start popping up all over the world. And yes, they are government-funded viral labs. These aren't little private—well, no, I shouldn't say that. They are private entities, but they are government-funded because the government really wants to know if you can make a super, super nasty virus. Like, coronavirus is a nasty virus. It causes—well, I should say COVID-19 in particular— you know, coronavirus has been around. Again, don't take for granted that it been around means that it has actually, you know, came from somewhere. It was man-made, and is around. Okay, and what they do in these viral labs is they're like, oh yeah, when you know, and here's what their argument is. By the way, this is true. Their argument is, oh, we're doing these viral labs for, number one, to be prepared to know how horrible the viruses could be. We're trying to make viruses as horrible as we can so we can see how animals and potentially humans react to them in case someone ever releases one. Really? You're making some of the most nasty, deadly things on the planet just in case someone else decides they want to make a nasty, deadly thing on the planet? That defies logic for me. Like, the viral lab concept is just ridiculous to me. And by the way, we've had viral labs since 1940. How much good is that done for us? How much information have they come out with to help us with our viruses? It's not very good. Like, let's just cover a couple of things. For example, the flu vaccine. It doesn't stop you from getting the flu virus. It only purportedly reduces your potential death rate. Well, huh. That's interesting because the death rate of flu has gone up and that's not what we were told before. Like we were told before that that viral component in that flu vaccine was there to prevent getting the flu. I think most people believe that, but that's not well, they'll tell you when they're sitting in front of you, they'll say, oh, no, I mean, it's not going to, because it's a protein code, your your body's not going to be able to mount a response to a piece of protein, it might be able to mount a response to a cell that's been so fully infected that it, the code, the membrane of the cell starts to change and, and some of the, you know, antibodies start, you know, IgM, IgG, and IgA, you know, they start to react to some of the cells, that does happen. But that's temporary. So that gets um, there's so much to talk about. I'm getting uh, anyway. <laughs> so here's the thing you need to know about the flu vaccine. Clinically proven to make your chance of dying or having severe complications from a different respiratory illness higher. If you get the flu vaccine, your chance of getting a super infection, an alternate infection outside of the flu is higher. It is not advisable to get a flu vaccine right now because it will make your reaction to COVID if you haven't already had it worse. You'll you'll be immunocompromised by it. And that speaks to another point I have to get to, but we'll see where we go with this. Okay. So, yes, we've known about the flu, an RNA virus, since the 1930s, and we still don't have a solution for it. So here we are in this COVID crisis going, everyone just stay at home, just stay at home because we're going to come up with an answer and I'm so sorry it's so bad. And I'm like, but you're not going to come up with an answer. You haven't come up with an answer for the flu virus and it's been 80 years. Okay, guys, 80 years of millions and millions of dollars of research to analyze and come up with a solution and there's no treatment for the flu right the vaccine is questionable at best and based on what i just told you probably not advisable for most and so yeah what are we holding our breath for So this whole, oh, it's all going to be okay when the vaccine comes out. Let that pass. (laughs) Let that thought process pass through your brain because we have historical evidence that is highly unlikely. Okay, that's number one. Number two is, okay, everybody stay at home. Be careful. Let's just destroy the world and the lives of many because we're going to get a cure. A cure is coming. Is it? Is it? If we had a cure for COVID, shouldn't we have a cure for the flu? Shouldn't we have had a cure for HIV, a cure for, you know, all the different diseases that we're still immunizing for? So, you know, it's just important to know that when you're trying to be immunized, the most important thing to have working properly during that is your immune system, right? Because the whole idea is, I'm going to introduce something nasty to your body, and I want your immune cells to identify it save it, take a picture of it, you know, a cellular picture of it, if you will, and remember it. And so it can get it really quickly the next time it might show up in our community, which is our body. So that's the idea. Your immune system has to be strong. And yet we start immunizations in kids zero to two when their immune system is not even developed yet. That makes no sense. And yet we give them several vaccines, which are known to be immunocompromising because they each of them provide a hit to the immune system and we give them all at the same time so that then, I mean, that will definitely reduce the ability for the immune system to mount a response. And the third point I want to make is I tried. I tried very hard to find the evidence that showed that the immunization lasted you know, when they looked at the HPV vaccine, they found that, in fact, there was a narrow window of a couple of years of immunity it provided, but only if you did it before a certain age. I don't have all those details fresh in my head, so I'm, I just, if you're interested in that information, go research it yourself. There's a narrow window where there's a short-term, short-lived immunity, and most viral experts will tell you immunity is a couple of years. So we're giving. All these vaccines, some of them, like the flu, may actually be contraindicated for people who are sick as opposed to what they're being told, which is, oh, if you're a sickly person, get the flu vaccine. Well, not if you're worried about getting exposure to other respiratory illnesses because this will compromise. Anyway, so the idea here that I think you should take forward because, oh, man, immunizations are so politicized, it's crazy, is you want to ask for taking them separately. You want them to start at an older age. And what the laws are mandating right now is, of course, they start at a young age. Mandating, okay? So I'll just tell you the quick story. I can't remember the UK physician's name. He did some research into the side effects of immunizations. And what he found was that taking all the the measles, mumps, rubella at the same time was much more hard and taxing and had much more long-term side effects for children then taking them separately. Well, that makes sense based on what I just told you, right? So what he advocated for in the UK was that everybody take those vaccinations separately. Made sense. The UK people were like, hey, all right, I like this idea. Let's do it. Well, then the pharmaceutical companies stopped selling them separately and mandated that they be taken at the same time. They was only offered in one way. And then, of course, vaccines are being mandated and they're, only, and they're being mandated by a certain age and they're being mandated in a certain way. And I take exception to that. (laughs) You know, I won't go any further. I know how polarizing this is. I just want you to think like, listen, let's, you don't have to hate vaccines to talk through them intelligently with people and say, sure. You could try introducing a viral particle into the body to get a, an immune system to become aware of it, you know, but let's, let's do it in a conscientious way. let's do it in an immune system that's fully developed, and kids after age two slowly one at a time, so that the immune system has its full opportunity with each vaccination to, a, to mount a response, and let's do our best to not put shit in the vaccines that actually is harmful to the body. I mean don't see why we would need. Any mercury? If there's mercury in there, I don't understand why we have the eye of new human tissue and weird crap in those vaccines. Like, let's let's just put some viral particle and get the body to amount immune response. You know, the only cases of polio happening in the world today are from vaccinations of immunocompromised kids. And so you may say, but Dr. Johnson, okay, all right, fine, but you know there aren't that many immunocompromised kids. Are you kidding me? We're in an epidemic of immunocompromised kids. I mean, the first thing we should be thinking about is, before you vaccinate my son, doctor, let me, let me get him healthy. You know, and so we, we've talked in all these different conditions, uh, all these different situations about hormone toxins affecting our children, candida overgrowth from the diet habits, you know, food preservative poisoning, chlorine poisoning, pesticide poisoning. Yes, so massive challenges to the immune system of our poor children, including and on top of this, so... I'm just going to make that point, you know, I've hit 30 minutes, I'm going to go over because I just got to, I got to get through all of this stuff that's on my chest uh, that's bothering me. So yes, RNA viruses, piece of code, hard to mount immune response. So the immune response initially you'll see is where they typically entry into the human body is oftentimes in the the nasal passage. So, uh, you know, doing a swab of the nasal passage in someone who's infected will show up. You can get IgA antibodies that show up right away. But they don't last. The IgA antibodies don't last. You can get some IgM and IgG antibodies uh, in response. But I'm telling you, I I was kept going through research. I'm like, show me the research here, guys. Where, how long do these antibody cells? How long do they stay viable? How long, you know, because there is a limit of immunization there's a limit of antibody presence and it appears to be about two or three years at best and that is with a massive infection infection is the best way to get an immune antibody response but again even that will dissipate over time the good news is your body is built to try to manage these viruses and if you think about them again as man-made you realize they just were trying to come up with all the different ways to avoid detection to avoid death And I say death in quotes because, of course, it's not. It's hard to think of an RNA virus as alive. But yes, that can be coded into that protein, and that's what's been coded into COVID nineteen. It's a very complicated viral protein. It causes quite a bit of, you know, causes clotting it causes of course it causes hypoxia it affects hemoglobin it has many different aspects of pathology and so the way you fight this best is strengthening your immune system and you know so I have two antiviral approaches that I look to uh, one of them is my immune defense And, you know, I'm sort of plus minus on the fact that I uh, not too long ago added colloidal silver to immune defense because colloidal silver has been, you know, become the uh, persona non grata of the of the wellness community. But I do think it actually aids in the strength of the formula. That's why I added it. I also have 24 karat edible gold in there, which also aids in the strength of the effect of the product. So they're in there. You know, if that's what turns people off, I'm sorry. But, um, you know, the main focus of these formulas is that they're treated with frequencies that when introduced to the body appear to have antiviral properties, very, very significant antiviral properties. We're doing protocols, and I encourage you to look up the protocols at osmosisbeauty.com. I think they're being posted. Uh, They'll be posted by the time this podcast releases, I'm sure, of a host of different ways that I approach viruses because I believe viruses and sometimes it's pathogenic bacteria are the cause of autoimmune disease or the cause of sometimes of the cause of high blood pressure sometimes of the you know cause of potentially the cause of dementia potentially the cause of Alzheimer's you know viruses are the cause of one third of all cancers okay think about that if viruses came from man and they cause one third of all cancers then we really need to be focused on how do we fight viruses. And if you want to know the truth, we're all being exposed to a lot of viruses all the time. The difference is some of us have a proper immunity. So immune defense is for when you have an infection. The protocol is one bottle for every 100 pounds. So if you're 50 pounds, it's a half a bottle. If you're 150 pounds, it's 1.5 bottles that kind of thing. And then you just sort of, you know, everything in between. And so one dose is is that. And then you take, usually, as for COVID, the protocol is two doses separated by 12 hours. And the experience of my clients and patients has been 24-hour die-off phase, where their fever fluctuates and they feel pretty crappy. And then they're on the mend. I'm telling you, you know, I submitted this product to the FDA for trials it was turned down. I wasn't too surprised. I guess I I did have a little hope that they were desperate enough that they would consider all options. And I told them, look, there's no cost here. This is a supplement. You don't have to do animal testing. It's already in the population. It's already being ingested safely. Um, We just have to give it to What do you say? 15 people. Let's go give it to 15 patients down at the Denver hospital that that are infected in the ICU, and we'll see how they do. And then if we get some good responses, hey, we'll go a little deeper. And and, no, they weren't having any of it. But here I am here to tell you that I have not... Heard of a failure and I have a tremendous confidence. So if you're at all worried or if you have people who are at high risk because of a history of asthma or vaping or smoking, or they're on medications that suppress their immune cell reactivity, if for example, if you're on hist- antihistamines, if you're on steroids, if you're on immunosuppressants for some skin disease, if you're on certain blood pressure medicines, if you're obese. And I'm not exactly sure the mechanism, all these things make you at higher risk because you're honestly, and I know this may offend some of you and I apologize, but a lot of obesity is toxin accumulation. And so when you have a lot of toxins in your fat cells, yes, your immune system is down. It's, it's, it's being, it's being affected. We've studied fat cells and we've seen all these different quote unquote inflammatory cytokines, meaning there's a lot of inflammation happening in fat cells. But why? No one ever asked that question. Well, it's because your fat cells are toxin storage houses. Your body removes toxins from the bloodstream into fat cells as a protection mechanism. So anyway, that's why obesity may uh, be part of it. So what is the answer going forward? Can you get reinfected with COVID? Well, I do believe in immunity. I do believe in herd immunity. I do believe there is an intelligent... Uh, I mean, the body's infinitely intelligent, by the way. And so, you know, all these, these coded proteins that are designed to avoid detection are, you know, trying to get around a remarkable system. You know, what what we're seeing in America right now is that, People are getting infected, but less and less people are dying. You know, my prediction has been uh, from the beginning that the death rate is going to come in somewhere around 0.7%, you know, significantly higher than the flu, but not nearly as high as some of the early estimates. And I think that's going to prove out here over time. But part of what we're looking at is remember, it's an adaptive system. So here's a funny story that should blow your mind. You know, when they were analyzing rats and they were, I want to say that the study I'm thinking of that the rats were shown a maze and you know how they like how long does it take a rat to learn to go through a maze to get to the cheese. And what they learned was successive generations of rats figured out much faster how to get through the maze than their predecessors. And what it speaks to again, and I I know, I know this is a hard concept to understand, but all of our cells are tapping into this consciousness field and there's where the information lies it's it's the it's the intelligence that drives our cells tells them how to respond gives them direction it's the silent whispers that are running our bodies when we get exposed to moments like this so our bodies have gotten better and better at fighting viruses over the decades because of this intelligence going oh, you're going to you you know this is information we're going to share with the next generation and and then there's this whole craziness where you can test rats in one location with a specific maze and rats in another location get smarter. And again, that just speaks to the shared consciousness. I know that sounds crazy and is way out there, but it is it is what the research is is suggesting is pretty mind blowing. So just imagine. And really, it's the only explanation for what I've talked about before, which is there's 100 trillion cells in our body all operating in remarkable precision and uniformity, and there's no explanation on how that's possible when you consider that 65 trillion of those cells are foreign bugs, that they're all working in perfect unison, responding in perfect precision to every new food that you might bring in, to every new... Exposed exposure to toxins, it has a solution or the best solution it can. And, and that, that all is, speaks to this higher level of wisdom that our cells are tapping into. So my point of that is to say, we do have this innate immunity that is growing. And I heard a physician the other day say that they uh, did not believe in herd immunity. It was, it was not uh, possible, but that's not true. All the diseases that we speak of have had and you know can a vaccine contribute to herd immunity sort of in the sense that yes it could slow down infections for a couple of years depending on the presence of it but you know that again the immunity there are no research studies to show a lasting immunity from any of these things so if the side effects pro which by the way take a look at the side effects of vaccinations and you'll see it's, it's quite a a nasty list and I'm I'm sure it's highly underreported. And so if those side effects are there and the immunity is not really that significant, then we just need to revisit how we plan out our vaccinations and what is the real goal? Because if, if the goal is like many girls died from HPV vaccinations, many girls died in the, in the, in testing of HPV vaccinations, Wow. What? And you might have immunity for two years, but hey, that's okay if 0.01% fatality rate. I don't think so. Not in my book. So anyway, back to the whole pandemic idea here. So for me, I'm, I'm a believer that you get out. I'm a believer that if you don't have a family member at high risk, that you, this has to pass through because the, the damage done to the world is already there it's going to be catastrophic like you th- you think it's all coming back it's it is going to be a domino effect of bankruptcies and and an intensification of homelessness homelessness and poverty like we've never seen the amount of misery that is going to come from this is not justifiable when we realize this is a bug that passes through it happened to make it a little bit farther because the bug's so damn well designed it's incredibly virulent meaning it attacks the body in a very creative ways so that if you don't have good immunity it can do a lot of nasty things and yeah the medications that they're uh, suggesting right now are not going to be a solution I mean, just look again. I go back to the flu. Like, why don't they have a cure for the flu yet? They're not going to have a cure for it. It's, there's an intention behind this being dropped into society. And you may argue, oh, I think it was accidental. They accidentally let it out. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Possible? I'm not going to say it's possible. My intuition is there was, this was no accident viruses are man-made. Why are they keep getting out? Why are there new ones? We keep hearing about, oh, there's a new pig virus coming down, the, coming down the pike. Watch out for that one. Listen, there's a battle going on out there and the best defense you have is to get your immune strength up. So what I do and what I recommend for my patients is immune activator. So immune activator contains a molecule called trioxalane. Trioxalane is a special oxygen that your immune cells take up and use to fight viruses amongst other things, also other pathogens. And it's very effective. Within two months, you can have, you know, taking a dropper a day, you can build up your immunity to a point where I think even uh, immunocompromised people will... Do fine. Number one, so immune activator every day, one dropper full. You could do a half dropper and your kids if you wanted. It's a little pricey, and I apologize for that. This is something we have to make in our own lab. It's not readily available in the world and it's patented by us. So it's, you know, got all of those benefits. But it does boost oxygenation in the cells, and it's and, and it's your oxygen components within your cell structures, your natural killer cells and, and other, you know, viral attacking cells, macrophages. Those cells are using oxygen to stop the RNA virus replication process. And again, I don't know if anyone has a real good understanding of the details of that. But the reason why younger people are doing better is because they're generally better oxygenated. The reason why people are really going down hard from this is because they're probably already on in it. I mean, the number of people who have allergies is off the charts because of the poisoning of the planet. The number of people who are on medications that suppress your body's ability to fight viruses is off the charts. So I've listed a few, you know, it's my take that the current medicines that they're offering, while they might shorten the number of days in the hospital, the way they're doing that is they're shutting down the inflammation, uh, which is remember code for repair, right? If you have a viral attack of your lungs and you stop the immune system from attacking the virus, the lung swelling might go down and therefore you might be able to go home early. But the lung swelling was the body trying to fix the damage. So you can't stop the swelling without stopping the repair of the damage. And so my worry is that if people get on these 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 medicines to shorten their hospital stay, that they will have long-term side effects of their lungs that are worse than they otherwise would have been. Remember, a lot of people come out of this with an emphysema like looking picture in their lungs where they have big vacuoles of where tissue clotted and, and basically degenerated. And so it, it's, it's a tough one. So uh, how do you defend yourself from this? From a holistic perspective, you oxygenate. So you begin, if you don't believe in exercise, you need to change your mind exercise it has to be a part of your daily life because it's what your body needs to be reminded that strength needs to be maintained, right? You need to continue to maintain your muscle mass getting into your 60s, 70s, and 80s. You need to continue... Improving the circulation through your organs so that the detoxification and the processing of toxins occurs properly. You know you need to be properly hydrated. Hydration is a is an epidemic, uh, I should say. Dehydration is an epidemic in America and elsewhere. People don't drink water; they drink some other form of fluid, or they drink bad water. I mean, our tap water in this country is a disaster. And it just further poisons them. And so it's a very difficult challenge to stay hydrated with good water. But that is what you need to do to to protect yourself. Because the more you are properly hydrated, the more your cells can detox. Because it's the fluidity of the blood is part of it, but it's also... Well, we don't fully understand how water, how complicated and beautiful water is, but yes, the fluidity allows for the removal of toxins through the kidneys more gently, if you will. And the body knows like you can either handle a detox or you can't. And so, you know, getting your liver healthy. Yeah. So these are the things I would suggest. Do whatever you can to address the source of your allergies. And in my take, the number one way to treat your allergies is to restore your microbiome. And in that case, I don't see a better product on the market than recovery. This is our new prebiotic. We're just getting phenomenal feedback from it. Launched just a little while ago. You take a tablespoon a day, as an adult or a teen and an adult a tablespoon a day for three months to restore your microbiome, you'll see the changes happening as you go along. But then after you're done for another four months, you'll continue to see changes. And one of those effects is allergies. Another potential effect may be diabetes. Another potential effect may be high cholesterol. Some of you may notice the effect is actually a lowering of your blood pressure. The microbiome is where you start with your health. And uh, recovery is, is pretty remarkable when it comes to that. So immune activator, recovery, immune defense, if you have a bug, a lot of people have allergies because they have a bug like candida that is overgrowing in their gut. Again, it's a microbiome story, but it's a, you know, we specifically target candida with an elixir called skin perfection. And oftentimes you're going to need to remove some of the mucus from your gut because candida lives on mucus. And so then you're going to take our skin clarifier to demucify. That's a 10 day cleanse. Some people, some of you may need three cleanses to get the job done. No one needs more than three. It's one, two, or three, about a third, third, and third, Of the population, need each of those. And then you're going to need a mucus maintenance because your diet is going to form more mucus. So, uh, we made a lot of leaps here, and I appreciate you bearing with me. But here's the summary of, of the situation viruses are real. This is a real virus. I don't think 5G has anything to do with it. Don't be distracted with too many conspiracies. Just understand that this is man made. And at some point, society is going to turn its attention to the idea that this was man made. Who funded it? I found some interesting information on that. I'm not going to go into too many conspiracies today on that, but you know, who funded the manufacturing of it? Who owns the Wuhan lab? That's an interesting uh, chase down uh, information lane. But more importantly, why are viruses being made? Why don't we stop that practice? Why are we not getting better at the treatment of RNA viruses? And don't hold out too much hope for those kind of solutions. The way we're going to get to the end of this is herd immunity. It'll be take probably till the end of next year because people are going to keep pushing and pushing to get back to civilization, to real life, to not having their lives destroyed. And that's okay. And those of you that are on medications or have preexisting conditions that put you at risk. Yes. During this time of herd immunity for the next year and a half, You're going to need to be way more careful. You should consider the tools that I've suggested you use, immune activator, recovery, and have immune defense on hand. You should start looking at ways to improve your health so that you can get off medications that interfere with your immune system because you don't want to be on anything that reduces your ability to fight off these bugs. Chances are good there's going to be more bugs coming. You already hear the little inklings of, oh, you thought that was bad. Wait till this swine flu comes around. It's super nasty. Really? Well, I'd like to see the code on that as well. How is this all coming about? Let go of the fantasy that virus proteins have the capability of mutating and replicating and some are mutating and um, modifying themselves in some magical way. That's not there. And trust that your body has the ability to fight these viruses on its own. Get healthy, get exercise start losing some weight. Remember that a lot of people who have stubborn weight loss has to do with estrogen toxicity. You got to start removing estrogen toxins. That that product is called Skin Defense. It can take many, many months to pull the toxins out because you've accumulated them over years. So, have some patience with that, you know. 2 to 3 caps a day, usually for the people who are at the phase where they can't lose weight. It doesn't matter how much how little they eat, they don't lose weight. Well, that's toxic fat. That's not metabolized fat that you're working on. That's why you're not losing weight. So toxic fat, you need to pull the toxins out and it usually after three months, you start to see the advantages of that. And I guess you know, be conscious of of the fears. Uh, anxiety is is a real thing. I, I still wear a mask when I go out in public just primarily because I don't want other people to become really anxious over my presence. You know, I'm not, it's not, I I can do something as modest as wearing a mask. And I should, I guess, address the mask a little bit here. You know, I don't, my take is that masks are not highly restrictive and causing illness. You know, they're a little less healthy than not wearing a mask, but it also really depends on the type of mask you wear. I see some people wearing really restrictive masks, and I guess that makes sense if you're a high risk, but that's something you can't wear 24-7. You can't wear the really restrictive masks 24-7, or you will reduce your oxygen content, which thereby makes you more likely to have serious complications from COVID. But in general, if you're just wearing a loose mask like most of us are, you don't have to fear it. It's okay. It's not going to hurt you. And you're just basically doing it to quell the, the fears of others. There is some, you know, there's some benefit to it in reducing infection. But again, my goal is herd immunity faster, sooner rather than later, because there are not going to be immunization solutions. There are not going to be cure solutions, you know. I should say I I believe wholeheartedly in my immune defense. I'm stopping short of calling it a cure of COVID, but I will tell you it's a remarkable antipathogen and you should try it and prove it to yourself. And, you know, write me if you ever have a failure or write me if you have a question about it at Doctor Ben at osmosisbeauty dot com. Because I'm telling you, you know, thus far it's batting a thousand. And I know that seems, you know, unscientific almost, but you know, it it is, uh, it is what it is. So, uh, you know, frequency medicine, we're going to have a conversation about some of the concepts, uh, behind my wellness and what makes it so unique in an upcoming podcast, because it's sometimes hard to understand why we're doing uh, so many things that are, you know, Really jaw-dropping results, protocols for things that 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 currently don't exist on the planet. So I want to explain it a little bit better because at first blush you go like, frequency medicine isn't that the stuff of the the hoaxes and the and the quacks and the and and yes and no like there are definitely hoaxes and quacks out there, Um, but no some of the most brilliant people in history were recognized the power of frequency medicine and and were thwarted and shamed and destroyed along the way because money drives the decision-making in medicine today, not intellectual curiosity, not a desire to get to the root cause of disease. So get healthy, be really, really careful. If you're around elderly and people who are immunocompromised and they need to set up a different strategy, I'm not telling them to go out and be casual. I'm telling them to come up with a system to try to stay protected for the next year and a half until herd immunity, you know, creates pretty safe environment. Um, But for all the rest of you, I'm saying get healthy. Now's the time that one of the messages of the COVID experience is start taking care of yourself, start paying attention to what is making you sick. And once you realize what's making you sick, you'll know how to better avoid it and you'll be able to develop a community a majority opinion that influences the politics of our countries and say for example stops the poisoning of the planet at the level that's happening right now the the secret to pandemics going forward is strengthen the immunity of the world population it's not that challenging Well, (laughs) it's pretty challenging, but it's not that uh, complicated. I guess that was the word I was looking for. So, okay. I think I've said my piece. We covered a lot. If you're really into the uh, believing in vaccines, uh, stopping all the world diseases, I apologize if if I've offended you. You know, if you're think that viruses could not possibly be man-made that, that, that just sounds outrageous. I do encourage you to go look at that study and, and don't be, don't be dismayed or how distracted by the fact that they published this study and then it was forced to be withdrawn. Okay. Who forced it to be withdrawn? Was there some misinformation it got all the way to being published. It was an examination of the code of the COVID-19 protein. It's not like you can misexamine it. Like it, they, they, they lay, The code is there for everyone to read. All they said in the study was, wow, that's interesting. There's a whole segment of code here that looks like it was spliced in to the normal coronavirus code that comes from a whole different virus. HIV code spliced in to coronavirus code. They're not making that up. That's in the code. Anyone can see it and verify it. But they don't want to talk about it. They don't want people publishing it. But you need to know. I'm here to help you become empowered. So hope this was helpful to you. Write me if you have concerns with what I said. Write me if you need to know more. But take care of yourself because this is your time to take responsibility for you and stop necessarily listening to what the medical community is saying about what drugs you need and when you need to to be vaccinated. Go empower and go search for yourself. Become empowered with knowledge. Become empowered by taking your health back. That's what my goal for you is. And on that note, I will uh, see you on the next episode. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ask Dr. Ben. Please leave a review if you can and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts to get access to all of my upcoming episodes. My website is osmosisbeauty.com and you can find me on Facebook at Osmosis Beauty. And you can also follow me on Instagram at osmosis underscore beauty. Thanks for listening.